Today, our readings invite us to face one of the essential mysteries of Christianity, and it's one of the tough ones. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that life is always going to be a bed of roses. In our first reading, Zechariah relays God's declaration that the inhabitants of Jerusalem will look upon a man whom they have pierced. It was probably unclear to our Judeo-Christian ancestors what this meant. Even when Jesus declares in our gospel passage today that we must deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily, that probably didn't make sense to the apostles until Good Friday. It's a constant challenge to embrace the cross. In today's homily, we'll try to apply the lessons of the first reading in the gospel to our second reading, a well-known passage from Galatians. We'll sing at least one song related to that lyric. Um, Sometimes it's oversold, though, as the Magna Carta of humanity. It's important, but we'll talk about what it means. Paul tells us in that reading that we are all descendants of Abraham, heirs of the promise of God. Last weekend, I presided at a wedding in West Virginia for two members of our graduate student and young professionals group. The father of the bride carried out the beautiful Polish tradition of giving his blessing to the couple earlier in the day. I was present at that blessing, and I did what most people today do to celebrate such a sacred moment. I took a picture with my phone and immediately posted it on Facebook. (laughs) Two minutes before the wedding, as I was sitting in the back of the church next to the groom, I told him that a friend of mine in Denmark had commented on the photo. So I jokingly asked him, since your marriage is already Facebook official, do you think we still need to have this wedding? (laughs) The communication revolution has made it easier to be connected to people living in other parts of the world. You know who Melinda Gates is, right? She's the former computer engineer who worked at Microsoft, married Bill Gates, and now runs the largest philanthropic organization in the world. She gave the commencement address at Duke University last month, and she observed that there are two competing narratives about the ability to be connected in the 21st century. The first narrative is that the current generation is the best connected generation because of their use of social communication tools. The second narrative is that the current generation is the most disconnected generation because of their use of social communication tools. She argued that neither narrative is true. The choice is up to each individual to use these tools to make either shallow connections or deep connections with other people. In case you haven't noticed, we're in the middle of a five-week stretch working our way through key portions of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Today's passage has played a key role in various social debates in the past few centuries. It has been cited by people arguing about affirmative action, slavery, and women's roles in society. And the passage has been used by both sides in each of these debates. So what does Paul mean when he proclaims there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free person, there is not male and female? As mentioned previously, some people have called this statement the Magna Carta of Humanity. However, I think that's going a bit too far. Whatever Paul's claiming, it doesn't apply to all people. It's only about those who identify themselves as part of the Christian community. 
If someone is going to cite this passage as an argument for civil rights for all people, I'd hate to think that equality is only granted to those who follow Jesus Christ. The other thing that's complicated about this passage is that some people have different ideas about what we mean by the very word equality. Do we mean absolute sameness? Or do we mean equal dignity? There are differences of perspective and tradition in Jewish culture and Greek culture. And God knows how many treatises have been written about the differences between men and women, arguing over what is due to genetics and what is due to cultural patterns. John Stott of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship explained this passage quite well 45 years ago. He said, when we say that Christ has abolished these distinctions, we mean not that they do not exist, but that they do not matter. They are still there, but they no longer create any barriers to fellowship. I'll put it another way. Most of us are not looking for a radical uniformity among all people. We're looking for a radical unity that still respects our diversity. But that's a tough job, respecting diversity. We can all point to countless heartwarming stories about groups of people who initially distanced themselves because of differences, but then came to recognize each other as having full dignity and a full array of gifts to offer one another. But in reality, are we truly welcoming of diversity? What is the litmus test for truly respecting and welcoming those who are different from us? The theologian Elizabeth Johnson is one of the most gifted writers of our time. She's put it more clearly than anyone I know. She argues that the trap into which we can fall could be called hierarchical dualism. Now, dualism is the dividing of reality into two separate and opposing spheres, which is not necessarily a problem. But hierarchical dualism is the sin of taking an additional step and declaring that one pole of the duality is inherently better than the other. Johnson gives three examples of hierarchical dualism. Claims that men are inherently better than women. Claims that humans have the right to exploit the natural resources of the earth. And the claim that the material world is more important than the realm of the Holy Spirit. How do we Christians in particular fight against the human inclination to prefer Jews over Greeks or Greeks over Jews? How do we rise above the battle of the sexes? Perhaps Jesus gives us the answer in today's gospel. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. So if we are to see each other as children of God in Christ Jesus... We need to deny ourselves the temptation to feel superior to people who are different from us. We will only see others eye to eye if we're willing to climb down off of the pedestal that places us above people who are different from us. We've heard it before. But we live in a world that values seeing ourselves as special, as set apart from, as set above others. How do we overcome the temptation to not deny ourselves? Melinda Gates used a computer programming analogy when she spoke at Duke last month. All the information in the world can be conveyed through binary. 
a series of ones and zeros. We will not solve the problems of our world, she said, until we can see the inhabitants of the poorest villages and the remotest corners of the world as ones, not zeros. I pray that God will once again deliver what he promised to Zechariah, that God will once more pour out on us a spirit of grace and petition. God continually opens to us a fountain to purify ourselves from sin and uncleanness. May we avail ourselves of the graces to cleanse ourselves of our past sins, to deny ourselves places of privilege, and to see all people as children of God.